Hello, Nathan Foster here, and welcome once again to the Renovari Weekly Podcast. Since its inception, Renovari has been working with a holistic view of Christianity, embracing the great traditions of the people of God. We call them the streams, one of which is the social justice tradition. Now, there's so many different ways to practice this deeply rooted tradition. A few weeks ago, I sat down with Cindy Wu to discuss her work with refugees. Since recording this interview, there have been some serious changes in our country in relation to refugees, so this topic feels more relevant than ever. What I like about this interview is Cindy offers some helpful human responses to care for those already among us. Cindy Wu is a freelance writer based in Houston, Texas. The forthcoming book titled A Better Country, A Call to Embrace the Refugees in Our Midst. And then her latest project is Houston's Refugee Voices, Stories from America's Number One Resettlement City. As always, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Hi, Cindy. How are you today? Hi, Nathan. Good to be with you. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to get to to get to talk with you. Um, I mean, in, in Renovari, we work with the different streams of Christian life and the social justice stream, this great tradition mm. of caring for others. And um, you've co-authored a book uh, called Our Global Families, Christians Embracing Common Identity in a Changing World, and your passion and work with uh, refugees. So might you tell us a little bit about your work? Sure. So um, I live in Houston, Texas, which um, is a very diverse city. Um, in fact, the county that I live in is the most ethnically um, diverse county in the United States. Wow. So I've kind of grown up my whole life around a lot of diversity. And um, while I was in seminary um, about eight years ago, um, I had an advisor who was the director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity. And a few years ago, he asked me to help him co-author a book called Our Global Families. And in this book, we provide a, an overview, a survey of the global church scene. We talk about demographic shifts that have occurred in the church mm -hmm. um, over the past several hundred years, but focusing on the past 115 years. Specifically, we talk about um, how the, global, the church in the global north has shrunk and the church in the global south, which is Latin America, Asia, and Africa is growing um, mm -hmm. exponentially. And, you know, what do those changes mean for the church today, especially the church in the West? So as the church is becoming more diverse, we need to be listening to more diverse voices. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, as the church becomes more diverse, we need to be paying attention to some of the struggles of the church around the world. And so our church touch our book touches not only on um, you know demographic data, but we also look at some of the problems that impact the entire globe mm -hmm. and offer some practical solutions, practical ways of thinking about what we can and what we cannot do to address those problems. Mm -hmm. what, what would be some of the problems facing the global church? So we um, talk about persecution in the church. We talk about um, lack of education, um, basic resources to a lot of 
the poorest of the poor in the world. Um, specifically, we address the United Nations Millennium Development Goals. Okay. And um, there are a set of 12 goals that, you know, the UN is trying to address. A lot of them include, you know, basic education, poverty alleviation, medical um and so we talk about some of those issues that we as Christians need to be concerned about, mm-hmm. you know, even being concerned about people who aren't Christians, just because of um, our common humanity with them, we have to be concerned too. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the things that we mentioned in the book in my specific passion is about refugees, mm-hmm. um, that we live in a time where the refugee crisis is the worst humanitarian crisis and many of the refugees that are coming specifically to the states are Christians. And, you know, we don't, our call isn't just to care for just the Christian refugees, but it's to care for all refugees um, because, like I said, our shared humanity with them. So those are some of the few things that we address. Um, it's, a, it's a bird's eye view. It's meant to be um, chunky, mm-hmm. but kind of you know, not too much on any one topic, but just a broad overview. Mm-hmm. Give, give me a snapshot of the refugee crisis in our world today. Okay, sure. If anyone is interested in having this data for themselves, if you go on the UNHCR website, they have um, this report called Global Trends. And some of these trends, just at a glance, um, so there are 65.3 million um, refugees in the world as of end of 2015. Wow. Um, so about it says on average, 24 people worldwide were displaced from their homes every minute of every day during 2015. Um, the Syrian refugee crisis really blew up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, about 4, 4.9, like 5 million refugees were from Syria. Um, I mentioned that 65 million people were displaced. That includes refugees, people who are internally displaced, meaning still within the borders of their own country, Mm -hmm. as well as asylum seekers. So of the 65 million, 21 million um, were refugees, people outside of their countries of origin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just been, it it is worse than World War II. Wow. Is, is this, I mean, it, you know, obviously with Syria and such, but it, it, it's worse than ever before. Could we say that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And define, I mean, a refugee, someone is, how would you define a, a refugee? Sure. So a refugee is someone who has been forced outside their country of origin and they are fleeing persecution. So it's someone who is unable or unwilling to return based on a well-founded fear of persecution. And refugees, um, in a technical sense, have to meet this definition. So the people that we admit into the United States as refugees have to have to meet this definition. Sometimes we call someone a refugee if they um, just moved from their hometown to another mm-hmm. um, city within their country or someone who's leaving their home just for economic reasons even people who are displaced by um, climate change or some type of natural catastrophe, you know, technically they're not classified as a refugee, even though they're seeking refuge. Mm-hmm. So that's the definition of a refugee. Okay. And so of these 65.3 million people, these are people who have just 
picked up and ran essentially for safety uh, to maintain their life. Is that is that an accurate way to think of it? Yes. Yes. So the sixty five are just sixty five million people displaced, you know, on the run because of you know some form of persecution. Mm-hmm. What What do you see as the role of the church in working with this issue? So I think the role of the church is many fold. Um, I think first and foremost is awareness. Um, a lot of Christians aren't really aware of the bigger picture of refugees. A lot of, I'm, I'm going to speak from the perspective of an American. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Christians in America, you know, what we know about refugees is largely what we hear in the news. Um, we see what's going on in Europe and we become fearful of migrants, you know, overflowing our country. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of Americans would do well to gain knowledge about the process for admitting refugees into the States, which is very different from Europe, which has more of an open borders um, policy. Refugees are the most vetted immigrant population in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so the process for admitting them is very stringent. Um, Syrian refugees in particular are currently undergoing an additional level of security clearance. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who is fearful of a Syrian refugee, for example, it just helps to know that, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like a lot of people know that when they it's, talk about it. It's a pretty extreme process that takes a long time. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. So on average, it can take 18 months to two years just for that application to be approved. So wow. when people are fearful of terrorists trying to infiltrate you know, refugee admissions avenues, it's, very, it's a cumbersome and slow process. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. These people will wait up to two years to be admitted? Yes. Is that- yes, that's just on average. I mean, for some people, it might be expedited for whatever reason, but for many people, it's even longer. And, you know, there's refugees who are stuck in camps for 20, 25 years. Wow. Wow. And, and these camps, I mean, pretty horrific places yes. to live, is that? Yeah. Very difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, I mean, just... On a, on a personal level, do you fear refugees coming into the States? I don't because of what I know about the process. Mm-hmm. And because I volunteer with refugees in Houston, and I know so many personally, and I would say across the board, the refugees that I know are some of the most hardworking, um, generous kind, helpful people I have ever met. Mm -hmm. They are my inspiration. And it's very much what motivates me, what compels me as a Christian to want to help them. Um, You know, that's not to say that some refugees don't come here and and they struggle and there is suicide because they go from trauma to trauma, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes resettlement and reassimilation again and again, it's just, it's very traumatizing. And, you know, not all refugees are able to be resilient, but the ma- the vast majority of the ones that I know personally are mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and there's a very robust biblical call in terms of our care for for others in need. Um, could you talk really? a little bit about about that? Sure. So um, in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, welcome this stranger is the second most oft-repeated command next to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. 
So welcoming the stranger, then we can kind of see that as it's a non-negotiable part of the Christian ethic. Mm-hmm. And it's what Christians do. It's part of our identity is to welcome the stranger. And, you know, there are so many verses in the Bible that say that we once were strangers, mm-hmm. just in the same way, the same ethic that compels God to welcome non-Jews you know, into his kingdom, Gentiles, is the same ethic that compels us to welcome mm-hmm. outsiders, others, into our communities as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, too, just so many verses on you know, what we do for the least of these, um, we do unto Christ, um, not withholding justice for, from the sojourner, from the orphan. Um, mm-hmm. There's just, yeah, there's so many verses that speak about treating strangers with equality and with justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like this. The, um, a good place to start is awareness and learning about this. <laughs> 65.3 million people is not a small number. Um, and particularly people fleeing with a suitcase or, you know, the clothes on their back. Um, so we began with awareness and I, and I really like this piece of, you know, the individual, um, it's really easy to, uh, look at a whole group and, and kind of judge them from a non-informed sense. But once you meet people and they have a name Mm -hmm. and a face and a story, um, and you care for them, it changes things, doesn't it? Yes, Absolutely. So beyond awareness, and that's a great place to start, what are things that the church could do to be of help in this crisis? Mm-hmm. So on a practical level, you can get involved um, at a local level. You can get in touch with any agencies that are in your city um, and see what you can do to welcome refugees. Um, you can, a lot of these agencies have kind of like mentoring programs where you, quote, adopt a refugee family. Um, Mm. You go to the airport, you welcome them, you help them assimilate. A lot of refugees um, who, the refugees who do not speak English, you know, many of them do, but some of them don't. Really teaching English is huge because they need it to survive in America. So just meeting practical needs um, that way, friendship is Mm. huge, um, that a lot of refugees have stated that that is the one thing that really made a difference for them was just feeling welcomed by just Mm. one person. Um, and then if you are so inclined, you can get involved on a political level, you know, write to your, your congressman, your state representative, um, just to encourage them to keep, um, welcoming refugees. Um, as you know, President-elect Trump has made several statements about limiting immigration, Mm -hmm. limiting refugee admissions. Um, The state of Texas, our governor also, they shut off um, state support, state funding um, to the refugee program. Not that that the national funding doesn't come in, but the state has basically removed themselves Mm -hmm. from managing um, the funding Mm -hmm. to refugees. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, it's discouraging. And when refugees come and they know that the governor, you know, doesn't want them here, Mm -hmm. it's discouraging for them. So I think Christians really can kind of step in those gaps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I find that really significant. Friendship helps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Having a meal with someone, engaging in their lives. 
Um, did, did you ever see churches kind of adopting families or, you know, welcoming families into their worshiping communities? Um, yes, absolutely. I have, you know, several contacts here in Houston that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a new initiative in Houston called Houston Welcomes Refugees, and it's a group trying to coordinate Christian churches in the city to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. They've um, done a really good job just training people and trying to get the word out about their needs. Um, I will say that a lot of the, you know, refugees that are coming currently are, are Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, just, you know, as a Christian being sensitive, like, you know, these Muslim refugees come really what they need is for me to help them find their Muslim place of worship mm-hmm. and, not be overly motivated by wanting to bring them to your church and to, you know, convert them to your belief system, but really respecting, you know, their need for their community and worshiping their God. Um, so I, our family mentors, um, an Iraqi mm-hmm. family, and we've gone to church with them. They go to a Syrian Orthodox church, mm-hmm. and that was a really fun experience. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for a family to adopt a, a, a refugee family? Mm-hmm. So I can you know, give you our experience. We celebrate a lot of the holidays together. We hang out. There, it just so happens that their family has three children about the same ages as my three children. Mm -hmm. So we hang out a bit together. They at one point told my kids that they were their best friends in America. (laughs) You know, the mom calls me her sister. We helped get the daughter enrolled in the public school that she really wanted to go to. We took their son to summer camp, Christian Mm -hmm. camp with us. So it's just a lot of fun. Honestly, they, (laughs) they spoke English. Um, The mom, not so well. Well, I guess none of them so well when they first came, but um, they've been improving. So we just converse with them in English and, yeah, mm-hmm. lots lots of really good food, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love this because, I mean, service work, caring for the stranger, it, and even in just simple ways like friendship, um, ultimately feeds us. And, and it has this mm-hmm. kind of interesting reversal. And it, it's fun for me to see just your face light up when you talk about mm-hmm. that family. They've blessed your family uh, mm-hmm. as, as much as you've blessed theirs. I, I don't know. Is that too bold to say? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, often when after we hang out with them, I remember specifically about six months ago, my husband, David, was he was kind of fretting over our financial situation. And after we hung out with them, he said, I just, I feel so humbled, you know, I feel so grateful for everything that we have. And yeah, it's just, it puts things in perspective constantly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I met a a person in the UK who, his name's escaping me. He wrote a book and his his issue is on um, orphans. And basically Mm -hmm. he figured that in the UK, if every church, one family from every church in the UK adopted a kid, Mm -hmm. they would essentially eliminate orphans in the UK. Wow. Um, I'm just wondering if every church in the U.S. adopted mm. a, a family or just, you know, welcomed them in, in in some capacity, what that would do to the refugee mm. crisis. Pretty significant, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. So Houston is the current number one resettlement city in the United States. And um, 
I don't have hard numbers, but I think in 2015, I, I think we welcomed about 3,500 refugees into Houston. Um, so when you think about that number compared to our population, which the greater Houston area is about 6 million, yeah, we could definitely meet that. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me when, when you look at some of the statistics, um, as the states really pales in comparison in terms of numbers of refugees coming in. Is that accurate? So the United States is actually the world's top resettlement city, meaning the number of refugees that are taken in by any single country okay. um, for resettlement, having you know passed all of those interview stages. But in terms of hosting refugees, meaning where refugees are abiding, we are not. I mean, we're actually quite low, partly just geographically. We are far from the the biggest places of conflict. So in terms of hosting, it's Turkey and Pakistan, Lebanon and Iran. And a lot of these countries, you know, actually in terms of like per capita resources and land space, their resources are being stretched very, very thin. Mm -hmm. So um, what's the difference between hosting and resettlement? Okay. So hosting is where a refugee is temporarily staying um, it could be short-term or long-term, but they are just there waiting to either be resettled or go back to their country, or they might eventually settle in that place mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they're currently. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're doing okay. we're doing well compared to the rest of the world in terms of resettlement and welcoming yes. people in? Yes, mm-hmm. we are. In fact, the United States has historically been the top receiving country for refugees, and mm-hmm. You know, we the United States, though, we settle less than 1% of all the refugees in the world. Wow. So even though we can say we settle the most, it's still less than 1% of everyone. I mean, if you look at um, Lebanon, for example, right now, about 20%, so one-fifth of Lebanon's population is refugees. Wow. wow. And so when you put it in those terms, you know, in that perspective, we could do more. And even some of the countries that are hosting refugees, um, they're among some of the nations with the lowest GDPs. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the burden it is on our wealth and our space, there's definitely more room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how does this particular topic um, play in for you personally on a spiritual level? What does it mean to you? Mm. So I um, was first drawn to the refugee crisis um, through a book that I read in seminary. It was assigned for a class that I was taking on the growth of the church in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And the book is called Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur. Mm. He's a Palestinian Christian who's a peacemaker. And he was forcibly removed. He and his family were forcibly removed from Israel um, with the development of, of the nation of Israel. And, you know, I, up to that point, like I'll just confess, I had one image of all Palestinians, mm, and that mm. was the PLO, you know, <laughs> and the things that I saw in the news, turban-covered, bearded, you know, scary people. Mm. And I had never up to that point considered the plight of Palestinians. Um, I didn't know they were Palestinian Christians. Mm. I didn't know how historic they were. And that book just really opened my eyes to my own prejudices 
and just my lack of concern for people who had been um, persecuted or forcibly removed. And so I very quickly started to read more about refugees and um, really felt drawn to them. Um, I think in part because I come from an immigrant family. Mm -hmm. My parents are from Taiwan. And so I have a lot of compassion and just, you know, mutual experience with people who've had to assimilate to a a third culture. I've lived abroad um, in Mexico and China and been on the other side of needing to be welcomed. Hmm. And so while those experiences really pale in comparison to what refugees have to go through, there's still that part of me that has, you know, even just like a a smidgen of ability to relate Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. some of those feelings of uprootedness, Mm -hmm. um, of never being fully at home where you live. Um, So there's that aspect, but really what kind of cemented it all for me was I, I became a Christian in college and immediately went to the mission field thinking that I was going to be a career missionary. And um, my husband and I, at this point, we feel called to stay in the States and we've been doing a lot of multi-ethnic ministry over the years. But with refugees, I feel like my concern for social justice plus my heart for making God known among mm-hmm. the nations, it really kind of meets um, in caring for refugees. So I have, ever since I was very young, I've always had just a real sincere interest in different cultures and um, I have a very broad palette. Um, I like languages. Um, I like <laughs> people who look different, and I love learning from people of different backgrounds. So, yeah, for me, it's also very much the spiritual aspect of it is just what I shared before is that Christ welcomes me into mm-hmm. his family, and I relate to that stranger motif mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just being accepted by Christ as I am and to welcome into his family. I feel like, you know, Christ's love for me compels me to love mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Um, some of the other projects. So you, you, you know, co-authored the book, but you've continued to write. Um, any insights yes. that you've learned from these other projects you're working on that you might find helpful to share with us? Yes. So I recently submitted a manuscript for a workbook called A Better Country, um, which is a call for Christians to embrace the refugees in our midst. And it's a seven-week study that is meant to be done, preferably in small groups, but can be done alone. And it looks at um, historical and um, demographic data on refugees. It looks at scriptures um, that I've, some of what I've shared in this interview. And um, at the end, calls you to create your own personal action plan Mm -hmm. around caring for refugees. Mm -hmm. So that um, I'm hoping will come out this summer, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. will be published by William Carey Library. And then kind of one of my pet projects was I've always wanted to write a book about Houston's refugee history. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working on a project called Houston's Refugee Voices. And I do have a Facebook page where I am posting stories and linking to um, events in the city that have to do with refugees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned kind of a people of New York type book. 
Is that yes, well, that, I was inspired by Humans of New York. Humans and so of New York. Okay. I kind of joke that my project is like Humans of New York, except with bad photography. <laughs> I'm really not a photographer, but I have enlisted a friend who's an amazing photographer, and I'm hoping that she'll help me out in that department. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that goes back to the there's a name, there's a face, there's a story. Um, boy, that just changes everything, doesn't it? Yes. That's good. Well, Cindy, this is really helpful. And I think one of the big takeaways for me um, is, you know, I, I mean, often I feel helpless um, mm. and seeing, you know, on the news, all the things happening and these issues are so complicated politically, but very, very simply friendship, connecting with people who are already in your midst that are potentially feeling very lonely, isolated and mm -hmm. dealing with uh, trauma of what they've seen and trauma of trying to uh, start over. Um, so friendship. I like that. I like that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Cindy. I yeah, really thank you. It. Thank you. This has been my pleasure. Well, there you have it. If you'd like to find more information about the work Cindy Wu is doing, you can find her on Facebook at Houston Refugee Voices. It's Houston Refugee Voices. Thanks for listening and have a great week.